Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Going Deutsch podcast, a look at the wonderful world of German football brought to you by the Homburg UK Supporters Club. It's the first episode in November, the month where we're all just sort of patiently waiting for December to come, but we have lots of football to talk about in this month, unfortunately including an international break, but... I guess Germany have been more interesting since Julian Nagelsmann was hired anyway. And apart from that, our usual scheduled programming of the best of German football and European football as well. But that's not what's going to be discussed in this episode, of course. It is the second episode of the week, this one, discussing the DFB Pokal second round. So welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. Remember to go to the Sports Blitz website. As mentioned on the last episode, the Week 8 NFL review should be be out by the time you are listening to this. But anyway, after what's probably the quickest intro I have done in a very long time, people listening to this will know I love to dawdle on the introduction, but let's go into the second round of the DFB Pakal, and before we do, I want to let you have a look behind the scenes of this episode in particular, because I decided to record this in an interesting way. So, obviously, the Pokal games were split over Tuesday and Wednesday. And once the Tuesday games had been completed, I decided to record the reviews for those matches before the Wednesday games took place. And as part of that, I reviewed one game and I said, as soon as this game was over, I knew this would be leading the running order. And I was convinced that that game would be leading the running order. However, then Wednesday happened, and the early Slater fixtures gave me no reason to change my mind, but the late Slater fixtures had Saarbrücken against Bayern Munich in it, and that is the game that we are going to start with. Most of you, let's face it, know the reason. Like I said, if I'm your only source of German football, then that's that's an interesting move. But yeah, I I think we all know what the result of this game was, but still, I'm going to build up the tension anyway. The game didn't get off to a good start for Bayern Munich. Matisse de Ligt went off with an injury early on. Apparently, it's an MCL as well, which isn't the best news. He could be out for quite a while. Apparently, Bayern have just not had enough injuries yet, so the football gods have decided, hey, let's let's add one more. Why not? It'll be fun. I mean, the bench for this game shows that they've had injury problems. I was surprised at first when Tuchel decided to put Joshua Kimmich at centre-back, and I was like, why didn't they just make a like-for-like replacement? Why didn't they just bring on a centre-back? And the answer, simply put, is that there aren't any on the bench. So, not exactly ideal. I mean, Lovro Zvonovec was on the bench for this game, Lovro! Oh, fantastic. I obviously had him on my Tennis Borussia Berlin save, which I talked about on the Thousand Hours podcast. Plug. Anyway, so yeah, not the best situation for Bayern Munich to be in because they didn't have a backup centre-back. Their best centre-back arguably goes down injured. And yeah, the, the whole... 
injury crisis at Bayern Munich doesn't look like it's going to be getting better anytime soon. Still, the team that were left on the pitch for Bayern Munich were obviously better than Saarbrücken despite of this injury. That's why they are the recordmeister and Saarbrücken play in the Dritter Liga. And Bayern would make their advantage over their opponents showing the 16th minute when they opened the scoring. Thomas Muller's long-range shot finding the bottom corner. A good finish from him. Just his second goal of the campaign as well. Obviously scored his first one. In the Bundesliga match against Darmstadt at the weekend, which we covered in the last episode. If you haven't heard that episode, then go back and listen because the Bundesliga this weekend was truly wild. I'll be completely honest, at that point I stopped watching the game because I assumed very incorrectly that Victoria Köln against Eintracht Frankfurt would end up being a more interesting match but I had reason to tune back in in first half at a time because Bayern Munich had never been able to extend their advantage and Saarbrücken started to grow into the game and they would make Bayern Munich pay by equalising a really poor pass from Kim Min Jae allowing Patrick Somfimer to tap in from close range. Really good work from Lucas Berder to set that up. At that point, it was clear that the Saarbrück and Bayern game was going to be more interesting than the Victoria Cohn and Track Frankfurt game, which we will be talking about later on in this podcast, though. By the level of enthusiasm I have for it, you can probably guess the result if I'm, for some reason, I'm your only source of German football. But <laughs> all of you know, I don't know why I'm pretending like you don't know. Anyway, I'm still building this up for the tension. So, Bayern in the second half were completely dominant. I don't think Saarbrücken had a shot from the 65th minute up until added time. Bayern were holding possession really well. They were creating a lot of chances, but they weren't able to score any of them. And I also want to mention at this point that Bayern seemed to be getting away with a lot that they shouldn't have. There were a few fouls that the referee didn't call, which I was absolutely stunned by. There was a moment later on in the second half where... Saarbrücken were trying to break down the field. There was a blatant foul in the build-up. I think it was Alfonso Davis doing the fouling, maybe. And I was stunned that he didn't even get a yellow card for his offence. So, yeah, Bayern seems to be getting away with more than Saarbrücken did. But as the game went on, it wasn't making any difference. It was still Saarbrücken 1, Bayern 1, entering the 80th minute. Which is when the commentator on DFB Play decided to say something very interesting. Actually, it wasn't the commentator. It was the, the analyst alongside him. He said, it was a matter of when, not if, Bayern would score. That was a confusing statement, despite Bayern's dominance. And it was confusing for two reasons. The first being that that's not how football works. You can have a million chances against the opponent and not score, either because the keeper's having a worldie or because you're just not putting your shots on target. And it was a confusing statement as well because at the point he said that I decided to check my scoring app of choice and Bayern's XG was 0.65. To give you a sense of the fact that that isn't very good, later on in the podcast we'll be talking about Arminia Bielefeld against HSV and I think everyone who watched that game would be of the opinion that HSV 
dominated and that Bielefeld really didn't have a lot of chances and yet Bielefeld's XG was 1.62 which was nearly 1xG higher than what Bayern had up until this point in the game against Saarbrück and now granted that is an unfair analysis because Bielefeld had the whole 90 minutes and extra time and I'm comparing that to 80 minutes of Bayern Munich but Still, this wasn't exactly a performance from Bayern Munich that was totally convincing and overwhelming. Despite the number of chances they had, a lot of those chances were not high quality. And as the game ticked down to full time and a likely extra time at that point, it was still all one-way traffic. It was still buying creative chances, but those chances were not of high quality. And that's the thing about football. All it takes is one moment to completely turn a game and that came in the 96th minute. Saarbrücken at this point, like I said earlier, probably hadn't had a shot since the 65th minute over half an hour before but they broke up the pitch and Tim Savage would play a perfect round cross to Marcel Gauss as he would fire past Manuel Neuer to make it 2-1 to Saarbrücken right at the end of added time. Uh, the referee added an unusual amount of added time after that. There were three more minutes of added time played than were indicated, despite the fact that barring the goal and the celebrations, there wasn't really any major hold-up. So... That was a bit weird. I don't think there was any substitution made in out of time as well. But anyway, Bayern kept having chances after that, but they would not score. The full-time whistle would blow. A pitch invasion would ensue as Saarbrücken knocked out Bayern Munich. Actually, I should say, when I say pitch invasion, I, I meant like the subs bench ran on and a few fans, but not a full-scale pitch invasion. But yeah, Saarbrücken winning 2-1 against Bayern Munich. It is the first time a side outside of the top two tiers has knocked out Bayern since Magdeburg did it in the year 2000. So 23 years now. Of course, I will be talking about Saarbrücken a bit more. But let's start off by assessing this game from a Bayern Munich perspective. Why did Harry Kane not come on? Like, Bayern were creating chances but not being able to finish them. And arguably the best finisher in world football is on your bench and you don't bring him on. Hmm. Eric Maxim Chupamoting had a reasonable game up front. Uh, Matisse Tau played alright, I guess. But to be honest, it wasn't good enough. When you consider that they were taking on third tier Saarbrook and the Saarbrook side, who are currently sat 15th in the league. But Alex, they've got games in hand that they could go really high up the table. Yeah, I don't care, they're still in the third tier. I mean, that's something we have to appreciate when we're doing the Dritter League review, not something we have to appreciate when talking about Bayern Munich. So, it was truly surprising that Tuchel didn't bring on Harry Kane. Oh, maybe he'd used up all his substitutes. No, no, he'd used four, and he was allowed five. And Harry Kane was just sort of stood there, watching. Maybe he wanted to save him for what felt like an inevitable extra time period. But, 
that didn't happen in the end. And the game would have been over a lot earlier, one would assume, if Harry Kane had actually come on. Because I don't think Saibu can get that goal if Bayern Munich gets a second earlier in the game. I think it would have been game over at that point. Bayern would have gone on and strolled to a comfortable victory. So the decision not to bring on Harry Kane, not to bring him on, particularly for Eric Maxime to promoting, who was playing up front, was truly strange. By the way, let's just all appreciate that... The Harry Kane curse continues, apparently. <laughs> if Tottenham win the treble in England this year and Bayern win nothing, then I think we can safely say at that point that it was all Harry Kane in the end. But yeah, the substitutes who did come on for Bayern, they made a triple substitution in the 60th minute, which was the only time they actually made a change Except for obviously bringing off Delict earlier on for Conrad Lima and then having Kimmich go to centre back, but they they brought on Komen, Nabri, and Musiala, and they did that for Sane, Kretzig, and Saar, and those changes didn't really work. Jamal Musiala had a few decent opportunities, and I saw a few moments where he got into really good spaces, but didn't get the ball, and like there was one point he was really frustrated, he was like both arms in the air, waving, shouting, in a really good space, and did not get the ball. It would have been a slightly hard pass, can't remember who it was who had the ball at that point, but it might have been Nabry, but yeah, it wasn't a good game for any of the substitutes and the decision not to bring on Harry Kane is going to be haunting Thomas Tuchel because obviously we've mentioned this in the past but they sacked Julian Nagelsmann last year because they thought the treble was under threat and then Tuchel comes in in his second game he loses in the DFB Pokal against Freiburg which was unfortunate and Freiburg obviously finished fifth in the Bundesliga so there's no particular shame in that but this is a side who are in the Dritterliga. So this is worse. And this is a club who do not accept failure of any kind. And particularly against a side like, I don't know, Saarbrücken. Don't worry though, I don't think the Bayern board are insane enough to sack him on the grounds of this game alone. But it is not going to help the sort of situation between him and the board and between the board and the fans and between everyone and everyone else at Bayern Munich. What was noticeable after the game as well from a Bayern perspective was that very few of the Bayern players actually went over to the fans and Thomas Muller was in deep discussion with the fans after the game. Speaking about that afterwards to the press, he said, quote, We will also discuss this internally, why our fans are rightly angry. Regardless of the game, we have to show a different face so that we also show our fans the necessary respect when they fill up the block here away from home. So he wasn't happy with the rest of the Bayern squad who did not want to face the music after the game. Obviously, Bayern fans will be upset about this. They have... We have the right to feel upset, but this is cup football. This is what happens. And like I said, it's not like this is the first time that this has ever happened. It happened against Magdeburg in 2000. And it's just a fact of life. You are going to lose these games sometime. For Saarbrücken, though, this is a game that is going to live long in the memory. Saarbrücken are a special club. I wrote about them ages ago. It was one of the first articles I did on the... Sports Blitz website, it might have gone up on Noose as well, which was an article about who Saarbrücken were, and if this is your first time really 
looking at Saarbrücken, maybe you don't stick around for the Dritter Liga segment. It is really worth looking at the history of the club because they are absolutely fascinating. From the fact that they once broke away into the French Football Leagues to the fact that they were the first German side to beat Real Madrid, there is a lot of interesting stuff in Saarbrücken's history. So yeah, I would definitely recommend giving that a look at. But let's not focus on the past, let's focus on the present because Saarbrücken fans will have probably been partying pretty hard last night and into this morning as well. Like I said, Bayern's XG was low in this game. It ended up being around 0.95 at the end of the match. But don't take away from the fact that Saarbrücken's defence were absolutely fantastic in blocking Bayern from getting those chances. And special credit has to go as well to the Saarbrücken keeper Tim Schreiber, who made a few genuinely world-class saves, a few fingertip saves, a few where he had to react late and made the save anyway. He was genuinely fantastic in this game. He looked like a keeper who could play in the Bundesliga. I'm not saying that's the case, but that's what he looked like in this game. Definitely helped that he was taken on Bayern Munich to, to show just how good he was. And obviously credit as well to the guys who set up that final goal with Marcel Gauss slotting past Manuel Neuer and Tim Savage doing a lot in the build-up to set that up as well. Rudiger Zeal, the... Saarbrücken manager said before the game, if we have a 1% chance of beating Bayern, then we will try and take it. And that's the thing, right? When you're a club in the third tier, you have Bayern coming to your home ground. The worst thing you can possibly do is start to treat them with too much respect and look at them like this is an impossible task. I remember ages ago, we talked about this, but there's that thing of like losing in the tunnel where you look across of the players who are lining up next to you go, oh, wow, that's Thomas Muller. Oh, wow, that's Joshua Kimmich. Oh, wow, that's Manuel Neuer. There's World Cup winners there. Oh, how are we meant to do anything against these? If you go in with the belief that you can win, you have a chance. You know, it comes back to that old saying, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And yeah, it was the determination from Saarbrücken to try and get something out of this game, to try and take on Bayern. That's why they won, ultimately. It was that belief that they had in the squad. So yeah, Saarbrücken into the third round of the DFB Pakal, and this is a game that is going to live very, very long in the memory. Anyway, it's now time to move on to the next game, the game that I was absolutely certain would be leading the running order, and to do that, we're going to have to go back in time. Homburg 2, Greuther Firth 1, the fourth tier side, are through to the final 16 of the DFB Pakal. Absolutely fantastic for them. Obviously, they got through the first round by knocking out Bundesliga side Darmstadt. Very convincing in that game as well, and in this round, taking on an easier opponent in second tier Greuther Firth. But it was a closer affair still, Homburg playing through the early stages of this game as if they were the favourites. They constantly kept forcing Greuther Firth into mistakes and eventually this would pay for the fourth tier hosts when they took the lead in the 31st minute. 
Fabian Isler tapping in a Marcus Mendler cross. That was the score of the half-time break as well. And to be honest, I think you would be hard-pressed to find many people who didn't think that that was a representative scoreline. The second half, though, was different. Groyce Firth did come out of the blocks better. And within seven minutes, they would be level through Branimir Hergotta. Groyd's Firth did have the majority of the possession after that and the majority of the chances, but it was still Homburg who were having probably the better of the opportunities, and that would be the case as well in the 83rd minute when Homburg would sensationally go 2-1 up. It was an amazing counter-attack. Patrick Weirauch, that's probably not how you say his name, playing through Phil Havers who fired past Andreas Linder and then did an amazing backflip. There were some questions about whether he was offside or not. Obviously, no VAR in the second round of the Pokal. But to be honest, from the replays I saw, it did look like he was onside anyway. So, nothing really controversial there. The lack of VAR would be an issue, though, for Greuther Firth once again. After that goal, they did try and throw everything at Homburg, and in added time, they claimed that they should have had a penalty for handball against Michael Heilig of Homburg. To be honest, from the angles I saw on the replay, it's impossible to say whether the ball actually does touch Heilig's arm. It is in an unnatural position, that is fair to say, but obviously if it doesn't touch his arm, then it can't be handball anyway, it doesn't matter. And since I couldn't say for certain that it touched his arm, I don't think VAR would have given the penalty if it was in use. But anyway, Homburg did go through and they did deserve to go through. To be honest, they were the better side through most of the game. Despite only having 30% of possession and far fewer chances than Greutherford, I would still say that their chances were a lot better. They're into the third round of the Pokal for the first time since 1995-96. Before we move on, we have to talk about one of the more interesting stories from this round concerning this game which is that Homburg had a sponsor on their sleeve that they don't normally have which was for a condom and the reason apparently for this I, I didn't know about this but a lot of older German football fans probably do know but Homburg had a brief stint in the Bundesliga in the 1980s. They were first promoted for the 1986-87 season, then spent 87-88 and 89-90 also in the Bundesliga, obviously having a relegation and promotion in between them before being relegated out of the top flight for the last time. But going into the 87-88 season which was Homburg's second in the Bundesliga they accepted a sponsorship from a condom manufacturer called London and this led to national outrage the DFB threatened to deduct points from the club so they initially covered the sponsorship with like a black bar kind of similar to what Ferrari did in the 2000s with the Marlboro sponsorship when cigarette sponsors were banned in Formula 1 like everyone knew what the barcode meant but Ferrari weren't explicitly advertising Marlboro cigarettes right that's what Homburg did with this black bar over their sponsor. Eventually, the courts in Frankfurt decided that the advertising of a condom on the kit did not violate any laws, it didn't violate any morality, and then 
Kronberg were allowed to have the sponsorship uncensored. But yeah, apparently this was a callback to that having a condom sponsor on the sleeve. It's an interesting way to celebrate your history and look back at perhaps better times, but yeah, it's not it's not what I expected to be talking about on this podcast, to be perfectly honest, but we, we should be talking about German football history more. I want to learn more about German football history as well, that's why I got that tour book that I've mentioned a few times on this show, but anyway... Not the point. The point is Homburg are through to the next round of the DFB Pokal and that is absolutely sensational for a side from the fourth tier. Freiburg won Paderborn 3, a cup upset that was so convincing that it became boring because Paderborn absolutely raced out into a comfortable victory and then at no point looked like they were going to give it up. They got their first goal in the fourth minute, they found it far too easy to cut through the Freiburg defence and that would give the chance for Philip Bulbia to slot into the net from the middle of the box. In the 33rd minute, Paderborn would make it 2-0. Florent Muslia with an amazing free kick straight into the top corner. Absolutely fantastic from him. And he has scored a few worldies this year. Because you might remember a few weeks ago, he scored from inside his own half against St. Pauli. I remember it because I was watching that game. And you don't forget goals like that very quickly. And to be honest, it should have been 3-0 before the half-time break. Sir Conte passing up an amazing chance at the end of the first half. If he'd just been able to get his pass to Philip Bilbia right, it would have been an open goal tap-in. That's not to take away too much from Sir Conte. He did have a good game and he did make up for it as well in the 56th minute. When Paderborn did make it 3-0, his pass absolutely spot on this time for Philip Bilbia. Ironically to tap into an open goal. So they missed that chance of the first half and then they just scored from a very similar chance in the second half and at that point it was game over. Freiburg had been terrible, they didn't look like doing anything at all and they did have one moment as you can tell because they scored and it was Maxi Edgerstein, a name you might have heard of because he is of course the older brother of the best player in world football, Johannes Edgerstein. Honestly, the fact that Johannes Edgerstein didn't win the Ballon d'Or is quite frankly a disgrace but anyway, his older brother would score in this game a powerful finish that crashed in off the crossbar but that really was it. Freiburg at no point looked like they were going to win this game at no point did it look like they were going to be able to get back into it maybe the goal coming so early on for Paderborn really dented their spirit but to be honest that is not a suitable excuse when you are a Bundesliga side taking on a fighter Bundesliga side they should have been doing better. Lucas Kwasniok, speaking after the game, said, quote, What the team did in the first 60 minutes was a la bonne heure. Mm, look at you coming here with your fancy French. God, next he'll be saying monge too, monge too, like Dalboy off Only Fools and Horses. But apparently a la bonne heure, sorry French people, means splendid, according to the Collins Dictionary. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that, but yeah. 
You think you can come in here and casually slip French into conversation and have me not notice? No, I'm going to notice, Lucas. But anyway, I think he has the right to use French whenever he wants because it was a truly great performance from Paderborn. To be honest, he would have the right to use French idioms even if that wasn't the case. But it was the case, so, you know, feel free to use as many French idioms as you want to, Lucas. Kaiserslautern 3, Köln 2, Kaiserslautern, another Spider Bundesliga side who knocked out a Bundesliga side in this round of Vipkal and they will be feeling ecstatic about this win, especially because this came on a big day for the club, celebrating the 103rd birthday of Fritz Walter, the greatest player in Kaiserslautern's history, arguably the greatest player in German football history as well. So it was a big day for them and they put in a great performance for their former star, including lots of good striking as well, which is what he would have loved to see. The first goal, something that Fritz Walter was very used to, to scoring, came in the 19th minute. Richmond Tashi's shot taking deflection off Timo Huber's before going in. That was the only goal of a first half that wasn't particularly inspiring. The second half would be a lot better though. And it got started less than 100 seconds into the half when Kaiserslautern went 2-0 up. Kenny Prince Redondo scoring there. And then when it was made 3-0 in the 65th minute, it looked like it was game over. Marlon Ritter drilling a free kick into the bottom corner. Kaiserslautern up until that point had... Had been fantastic, Cone had been terrible, but you may know that in the last few weeks, Kaiserslautern have had a bit of a thing for letting leads slide. Of course, they were 3-0 up against Fortuna Dusseldorf, but then lost the game 4-3. They were 3-1 up against HSV and drew 3-all. So when Jan Thielman scored in the 71st minute by turning in a Florian Kynes free kick, there was definitely some reason to panic. That was, by the way, less than two minutes after Tillman had come on. So he really did make an immediate impact in this game. And of course, Kaiserslautern fans would have been really worrying in the 81st minute when Mark Ut was able to head in a Benno Smith's cross to make it 3-2. The momentum was clearly all with Köln at this point, And we had seen this far too many times from Kaiserslautern in the last few weeks while two times so you can hear that plane by the way in the background but you know i can't tell it to go away but anyway where was i yeah cone had all the momentum at that point and kaiserslautern obviously had blown two leads in two weeks so we expected that they could probably do the same again it was the right time for kaiserslautern to have a bit of luck go their way and that is exactly what happened just three minutes after the goal, Florian Kynes getting sent off for a second bookable offence and suddenly the pendulum swung away from Köln and back to Kaiserslautern. Still, Köln were pushing, Köln were the better side through those closing stages. Kaiserslautern, I think, having blown those two leads that they did in the Spider-Bunds League were probably... Just wanted to play as defensively as possible. Just be solid at the back. Make sure they didn't concede again. Even with the man advantage. And there were lots of chances for Köln to get that equaliser. In my opinion, they probably should have had a penalty in the 96th minute. Obviously, we talked in the last episode about 
Kai Slaughter keeper Julian Kroll making a big mistake in the game against HSV, allowing them to score their equaliser. He made another major mistake in this game where he missed a long ball. Yep, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Apparently, this is just a, a specialty of his. And then, in the process of trying to get the ball back, he wiped out Stefan Tiggers in the box. For me, that is a penalty. It should have been a penalty, but no VAR to correct the referee. He was very close to it, Sven Jablonski, but for some reason decided immediately he didn't think it was a penalty. I strongly disagree with that decision. And after that, Köln did have a few more chances, but it was all in vain as Kai Slauten would go through. Köln were too poor through much of this game. Their comeback was too little too late. One of my favourite quotes from this game came from the Kaiserslautern managing director Thomas Hengen. He said, quote, it was a hot evening. In the end, it became unnecessarily tight. And to be honest, that sounds like what I say when I put on the wrong cycling gear for the for the climber to like, oh, I decided to go, you know, full longs. But in the end, it was a hot evening and it became unnecessarily tight. <laughs> anyway, I'll take the thought of me and Lycra out your head. Let's move on to the next game. Hertha Berlin, 3 minds nil. Obviously, we talked about the Freiburg Paderborn game earlier on, and this game was very similar in the sense it was an upset, but also boring because it was such a convincing upset. Earlier on this week on the podcast, we talked about Schalke fans showing up to the Valtins Arena, 62,000 of them whilst aside of a relegation scrap, and how that really helped the side to victory against Tanover, while... Hertha Berlin obviously are in a better predicament and they were taking on a Bundesliga side in this game and the Olympia Stadion, as a result, was packed with 29,000 fans. What's it like to see a crowd? What's it like to see a crowd? Yeah, maybe the fact that Berlin has more entertainment options and Gelsenkirchen meant that people didn't want to attend a game on a Wednesday night, a cold Wednesday night, where many would have been expecting Hertha Berlin to lose against higher-ranked opponents, but that is not what happened. Hertha Berlin put in a fantastic game. They opened the scoring in first half at a time when they were given a penalty. Maxime Leitch bringing down Florian Niederlechner in the box. The first time Florian Niederlechner has had a good game this year so that's that's good it was converted by Fabian Reza and then because Mainz really enjoyed conceding that penalty they decided to concede another one in the 50th minute when handball was given against Brian Gruder apparently it's Brian I thought it was Brahan but apparently it's Brian Gruder the penalty was scored by Harris Tabakovic. And then in the 61st minute, Hertz Berlin would make it 3-0. John Joe Kenny with a cross for Harris Tabakovic as he headed in for his second of the game. According to the commentator on DFB play, the Hertha fans have a nickname for Harris Tabakovic because when he scores, he often scores multiple goals. He'll either score two goals or none. He barely has games where he just scores the one goal. So they call him... Doppelbakovic, which, you know, I get, because Doppel in German is double, but, like, lads, it, it doesn't work. It's not a pun. It's just, it's just nothing. It's not a very good attempt. I, I trust you to do better than this. I mean, if it was me, and I know I'm about to make a very UK reference, but I would personally reference London buses. 
because, you know, you wait ages for one of them to come along at once. But apparently that's not a reference that really sticks in Germany and they decided instead to call him Doppelbackovich. Sure. Anyway, the performance from Hertz Berlin was much better than their fans' abilities to create nicknames for the players. But yeah, it, it was a good performance, even though, you know, they obviously benefited from Mainz having no idea how to defend at any point and giving away two penalties. I mean, this has to be an idea for Mainz, right? They've obviously not made a good start to the Bundesliga season. They had that dramatic equaliser against Bochum. Uh, the weekend, but still they were really bad in that game, their bottom of the table, and in this game they were demolished by a middle-of-the-pack fighter Bundesliga side, so it's not getting better for both Svensson, and at this rate I don't know how it gets better. Since recording that segment, it has been confirmed that Bo Svensson will be leaving Mainz with this game against Hertha Berlin being the last for him. It's a real shame because through most of his time at Mainz, he's shown himself to be a very promising manager who can do a lot in the world of football. And I think that the comparisons to Klopp and Tuchel were more than fair, but this start to the season has been abysmal and a change realistically did need to be made. It's all about who they can get in to replace him because Svensson is a very talented manager and if they just bring in someone like Bruno Labbadia, then it won't be a smart move make this for cold open when they inevitably hire Bruno Labbadia. But, yeah, it's all about the replacement now. I'm not willing at the moment to say that it is a good or bad move. It is most certainly, though, a risk. On to hashing, three for Tuna Dusseldorf, six after extra time. Yes, a game with nine goals, not even close to leading the running order, but this was a truly exceptional game, and a game that for a very long time looked like it was going to end in an upset. Obviously, Fortuna Dusseldorf doing very well in the Svita Bundesliga at the moment. Untashing, middle of the pack in the Dritter Liga, but obviously newly promoted side, they're going to be very happy with that, and they would have been very happy with the opening hour of this game. Two goals from Patrick Hopsch giving Untahashing a 2-0 lead, the first one coming in the 34th minute, the second coming in the 55th from the spot after Hopsch had been brought down by Yannick Engelhardt. So, at that point, 2-0 up, with an hour gone, to be honest, I don't think anyone thought Fortuna Dusseldorf were going through this game, and I don't think anyone saw another seven goals coming. <laughs> because I was watching, and I was going, wow, Untashing are actually going to go through, Dusseldorf have no chance, they've been terrible, but then... Fortuna scored two goals in the space of two minutes to level the scores. Isaac Bergman-Johannesson, a name you're going to be hearing quite a few times through the next few minutes of this podcast, setting up Felix Klaus for the first, and then the reverse being true for the second, with Klaus setting up Johannesson. A complete collapse of the untashing defending for both. They'd been looking so solid before that, but then it all just fell apart. And at that point, it felt like Dusseldorf were going to coast to a victory in the normal 90 minutes. But another plot twist came just five minutes later when Unterhashing got the lead back. 
Simon Scarlettidis with a good curling finish from outside the box. And at that point, I thought, wow, actually, it turns out Untashing are going to go through. They had that bit of adversity, but let's face it, for most of this game, they have been the better side, and that is why they are clearly going to win this game, except in the 78th minute. Isaac Bergman-Johannesson would get his second of the game and that would take the game into extra time, 3 all the score at the end of 90 minutes. The first half of extra time was a drab scoreless affair, but in the second half of extra time, Fortuna Dusseldorf would completely run away with the game less than two minutes into that second half. Isaac Bergman-Johannesson would head in for his hat-trick in the 115th minute. Christos Solis would hold off his defender to run through on goal and score. And it was at this point that I was quite surprised that when Untashing had a corner, the keeper went up for it, despite the fact they were down two. And that ended up being a mistake. René Volaf, the keeper... Didn't get onto the ball, neither did any untashing player and Dusseldorf were able to launch a long ball up the pitch. By this point, Volaf was nearly back in his own box and when the ball landed towards him, it was just outside. I mean, just outside, but obviously couldn't handle it because he was definitely outside his box. So he tried to chest it first and then grab it, except that isn't quite what happened because when he chested it, he just chested it too hard and it went perfectly into the path of Denis Yastremski. Not very good with names as he tapped into an open goal. So that was the final score 6-3 for Fortuna Dusseldorf to be honest. When they got those two quick fire goals the game completely flipped. Untashing were looking really good up until that point but to be honest I don't think anyone would be able to complain with this result. When a side scores six goals, they probably deserve to win the game, unless they concede six or more. But yeah, Fortuna Dusseldorf did deserve to go through after quite a challenging opening hour. Holstein Kiel 3, Magdeburg 3, Magdeburg going through 4-3 on penalties and as a result they are through to the third round of the DFB Pokal for the first time in 23 years which just happens to coincide with when they beat Bayern. They did not do it the easy way though in this game. They did open the scoring in the third minute. Herbert Bockhorn scoring that one and then in the 11th minute they would make it 2-0. Colin Kleiner-Bacal Failing to clear his lines as Conor Krampicki would take the ball off him and convert an easy one-on-one. -on -one. And to be honest, they should have been winning by far more at the half-time break. They were completely dominant. The only person at that point keeping Holstein Kiel in the game was their goalkeeper, Timon Weiner. But yeah, it could have easily been 3 or 4 nil at the half-time break. And as the second half got started, Magdeburg was still arguably the better side, but that would change in the 61st minute as Kiel would score. However, it wasn't Kiel doing the scoring, it was Magdeburg doing the scoring as Daniel Haber would head the ball into his own net. And apparently, seven minutes later, Cristiano Puccini was thinking about that and thought it looked really fun as he would turn a Jonas Sterner cross into his own goal to make it 2 all. So, at this point, Magdeburg had scored four goals, Holstein Kiel had scored no goals, and yet 
Magdeburg weren't winning. It was 2-all because they had put two of those goals into their own net. Apparently, it does turn out that it is important which net you're scoring in. That would take the game to extra time, but Magdeburg got a fast start to that extra time period. They'd scored in the third minute of the game. They would score in the third minute of extra time as well, with their fifth goal of the match as well. Xavier Amici cutting inside and scoring very well. And that really looked like it was going to be enough. Magdeburg were holding on to that lead. But the sixth goal of the game would be the first that Holstein Kiel would actually score. Benedict Pischler scoring after Leon Baubel was unable to clear the ball out of the box. You know I'm a big fan of Leon Baubel. I think he's a really good player, but Jesus Christ, he had all the time in the universe to clear that ball. All he had to do was kick it anywhere, and he managed to not do that. And Kiel would score in the 122nd minute to send the game to penalties. Shooter Machino and Amara Conde would score to make it one all after the first round of penalties, but then Bamuaka Simakala would hit the post and Xavier Amici would completely miss the target to keep the scores level. Colin Kleinerbacal and Herbert Bockhorn would then score to make it two apiece before Tom Rutter, the youngster from Borussia Dortmund, would have a completely dreadful penalty, very easily saved by Dominic Ryman in the Magdeburg goals and after that Silas Naka would make it 3-2 Lewis Holtby would make it 3-0 but Amit Aslan would score his penalty to make it 4-3 Magdeburg as they would go through to the third round and to be honest with how dominant they were through most of the game they did deserve this it would help in the future if they could score all of their goals in the correct net as opposed to scoring two of them in the wrong net Real advice for the future lads, take that on board. Speaking after the game, Christian Tits said about the own goals, quote, we made it exciting again with our own goals. Well, that's a real glass half full way to look at it, I guess. I mean, yeah, we could have won convincingly, but our own goals at least made the game exciting for the fans. <laughs> I love that sort of optimism, but maybe he has the right to be optimistic. After all, they are through. Nuremberg 3, Hansa Rostock 2 after extra time. This was a weird game because Nuremberg were easily the best side through the entire match, but they kept falling behind and kept having to do the chasing. That was the case in the 58th minute when Hansa would open the scoring from Junior Brumado. If you want to know what happened in the first half, there you go, that's an update of what happened in the first half. Nuremberg would equalise five minutes after Hansa took the lead. Kanji Okunuki with that goal, but then Christian Kinsombi would score in the 74th minute for Hansa, a powerful hit into the top of the net. And it looked like Hansa were going to go through despite not having the better of the game until the 95th minute when Felix Lurkemper would tap in. He had been subbed on in the 85th minute. It was a... Perfect substitution by Christian Field because Low Kemper would also get the only goal in extra time with an amazing lob of keeper Sebastian Kolker. So Nuremberg did deserve to go through. They were the best side through this entire game, despite the fact that they kept having to chase Hansa Rostock. 
St. Pauli 2, Schalke 1 after extra time. Are you tired of some of the things I say about St. Pauli? I hope not, because I'm about to say a lot of them again. St. Pauli pretty much dominated this entire game. Schalke were very defensive, but through most of this game, again, say it with me, St. Pauli couldn't take their chances. Even Simon Zola, who starts up front, the first start he's had was fairly quiet through most of the game. He did have a few good chances. It is fair to say Ralph Farman did have a very good game. And I think he deserves a lot of credit. Because maybe St. Paul do run away with this game if he is not on form. But yeah, this was... Another frustrating game for most of it for St. Pauli. Particularly frustrating in the 16th minute when they went 1-0 down. Despite having been in control of most of the game before that, Martin Kaminsky heading in a free kick. Schalke hadn't been good before that. The goal definitely came against the runner play, but they just decided to completely park the bus following that. St. Pauli had even more chances, they were even more dominant, but they weren't able to convert 1-0 Schalke, the score at half-time. 12 minutes into the second half, St. Pauli would get the big break, they needed a penalty handball given against Devi John Merkin, it was the correct call, and the penalty was scored by Marcel Hartl, who was easily the best player on the pitch in this game, by far not even a contest. Now, you'd think that St. Pauli scoring in this situation would mean that Schalke would have to try and come out more, play more expansive football, try and take the lead back. Nuh uh, St. Pauli were somehow even more dominant after that goal and still couldn't take their chances. When the commentator on the DFB Play app, which did finally start working eventually. There were some technical glitches at the beginning, but, you know, we got there. So, fair enough. And absolutely fantastic. I'm very happy that the DFB have allowed you to watch all of the games for free that aren't being broadcast in your country. Absolutely fantastic. Not paid for by them. I wish they were paying for this, but, yeah, it, it's a really good app if it works. <laughs> but, anyway, the commentator on the DFB play app on the world feed, I guess would be the correct thing to say, but anyway. He said, St. Pauli have had over two more expected goals than Schalke, and yet they find themselves level, and I'll be honest, I was sat there going, I am not surprised this happens all the time. <sighs> so the game went into extra time, and, well, funnily enough, St. Pauli were still the better side in extra time and they finally got their deserved lead in the 102nd minute. The Schalke defence slipping from a Marcel Hartl free kick allowing Johannes Edgerstein to be wide open at the back post. He would head in for his sixth goal in five games and the term Fussball got which is common to say in Germany about a player, was really fitting here because Johannes Edgerstein is quite clearly a football god. <laughs> That's the second time in two episodes that I have called him that. Now, you'd think that being 2-1 down, Schalke would have to play really attacking football, do whatever they can to wrestle a goal back and send the game to penalties, but nah, -uh, St. Pauli was still the better side, after that, to be honest, Schalke did have one really good chance in the 120th minute, but 
St. Pauli were the dominant side through all this game. They did deserve to win. The big problem for Schalke, Simon Tavoda got an injury early on and he soldiered on till the 40th minute before he was subbed off. Obviously, Tavoda is the fight to Lewandowski. He's not proven that so much this season, but still, he is clearly the best striker that Schalke have and it would be a massive loss for them if they did lose him. So hopefully that's not the case for them. But yeah, St. Pauli can be very happy with their performance, except for the fact that they still struggle to finish, and it would really help them if they could just score a bit earlier. But still, this was a good game from the boys in Brown. Before we move on, we do have to regrettably address something that's been doing the rounds on social media, a purported banner from the St. Pauli fans that attacked the international fan base of the club over a statement about the Israel-Palestine conflict. The banner itself said, From Gaza to Glasgow, fight anti-Semitism free Palestine from Hamas, which by itself is a perfectly innocuous statement and one that we would all agree with, but it's more what it's not saying. And by addressing Glasgow, it seems to be a direct reference to not only Celtic fans who have shown support for the Palestinian people without showing support for Hamas, it's perfectly possible to show support for Palestine without showing support for Hamas, but also the international fan bases who released a statement which I will link to in the description that mentioned that supporting Palestine is not supporting Hamas and also equally importantly criticising Israel for which there is a lot to criticise them for is not anti-Semitism so it's very important to talk about that especially in recent contexts Israel has been accused with pretty damning evidence by Amnesty International of using white phosphorus indiscriminately against civilians which is a war crime as they describe it and also Israel recently bombed a refugee camp and reportedly 15 people dead over 150 injured from that if you're bombing a refugee camp you're not the good guys that's just a fact of life and of course St Pauli as a fan base are very pro-refugee pro-peace anti-war and so this sort of stance is really it's surprising and it's unsurprising obviously because of Germany's history with anti-semitism and Cultural PTSD, as I heard it described, about the Holocaust. Obviously, like everyone else, at least with a brain on planet Earth, I find what Hamas have done to be completely terrible and vile, but at the same time, it is worth pointing out that reportedly Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister, knew that there was an attack planned and did nothing so that he could deliberately stoke the flames of the Israeli-Palestine conflict and this has led to him becoming very unpopular in Israel as well and the actions of the Israeli government and the Israeli Defence Force can be described as war crimes. So, Correctly pointing this out and criticising the Israeli government and the Israeli Defence Force for it is most certainly not anti-Semitism and for a club and a fan base that usually get everything so right it is awful to see them so wrong on this matter. 
because to ignore war crimes like this would be flagrant hypocrisy from a fan base that claims to be anti-fascist, claims to be anti-war, claims to be in support of peace, in support of refugees, in support of those who suffer under actions like this. If being a St. Pauli fan has taught me anything, it's that you should stand up for what is right, and that is why I have to stand up against such a banner. Armenia Bieler fouled one, Hamburger one, Hamburger going through 4-3 on penalties. Before we go into the game though, you might have noticed if you watched this that extra time was delayed because there was a medical emergency in the stands with one of the spectators. Doctors from both clubs rushed over to help and the fan was eventually taken away on a stretcher with emergency services having shielded the person with blankets so that no one could see what was going on. I think obviously that's for the best. Obviously we don't know what happened but we obviously we don't know what happened but I would like to send out my thoughts to the person and I hope that they are recovering. Anyway, to go into the game itself, there was lots of rain, almost as much rain as there was in the Saarbrück and Dresden game, but we get not that much rain. But anyway, there was a lot of rain. Bielefeld tried to make a positive start to the match against a higher tier opponent, but to be honest, I would still say that when they took the lead in the 11th minute through Nicholas Chipnowski, it was sort of against the run of play. After that, HSV dominated. Armenia Bielefeld were happy with their one goal and they really tried to park the bus. And they did so for a lot of the game. Credit particularly has to go to the Armenia Bielefeld goalkeeper, Jonas Kirsken, who played amazingly and constantly sort of ruined the chances that HSV had with some really good saves. HSV did get one goal though and it's hard to say that it wasn't deserved because it totally was. Bakri Yatta heading in a Miro Muheim cross. That took the game to extra time where of course we had that medical emergency but extra time after that really didn't have anything for either side and that took the game to a penalty shootout. Fabian Close, the Armenia Bielefeld club legend, missed the opening penalty for DSC. And then two more penalties would be missed. One for HSV, one for Armenia Bielefeld, obviously meaning that HSV went through. Elia Kran for HSV, 20 years old, but his penalty was poor and saved by Jonas Kurskin, who in my opinion was the best player in this match. But Marius Vol would see his penalty saved by Hamburg keeper Maffeo Varb. And as mentioned, that meant HSV went through. They did deserve it. They were the better side. Unfortunately, no bias here. No bias. Sandhausen 2 by Leverkusen 5, a game that came to an expected result even if it took an unexpected route to get there. It looked like it was going to be a very long day for Sandhausen because within the opening minute they were immediately under pressure and Sandhausen keeper Nikolai Reynan was forced into a really great save and... By the 21st minute, they'd had a lot of chances by Leverkusen, but their first goal would come from the spot. They don't need help, so I don't know why 
Sandhausen decided to give them help, but that's what they did when Alexander Fuchs brought down Amin Adley in the penalty area and the elf meter was scored by Ezekiel Palacios. But then, at the beginning of the second half, a plot twist because Sandhausen would remarkably equalise Frank Avena with a great through ball to Christoph Ehrlich, who perfectly placed his shot into the bottom corner from outside the box. However, just four minutes after that, Bayer Leverkusen will take the lead again. Jonathan Tarr heading in a Nadiem Amiri free kick. And you would think that would really make the Sandhausen heads dropped. They just got back into the game, but then four minutes later, they're on the back foot once again against the side two tiers above them. But just three minutes after Bayer Leverkusen made it 2-1, Sandhausen made it to all. You've seen Ben Bala heading in a Abu Bakir al Zain corner. So, absolutely fantastic start to the second half with three goals in the opening 12 minutes and two all was the score. Leverkusen were struggling at this point and Xabi Alonso was forced into some big decisions. He brought on Granit Xhaka, Florian Wirtz, Yemi Frimpong and Alex Grimaldo which I don't think he would have wanted to do, but the situation definitely called for those four changes. But Bayer Leverkusen were still struggling, and as the game went on, you had the sense that Sandhausen could actually get something out of the game, and they were having a few really good chances. Alzheim and Alexander Muling both forcing really good saves out of the Bayer Leverkusen backup keeper, Matej Kovar. And yeah, it looked at that point like Sandhausen were arguably the favourites. And there was a bit of controversy as well because David Otto should have had a penalty for a clear pull on his shirt. Obviously no VAR in the second round of the FIFA car, which we've already mentioned. But it feels like VAR would have 100% given that penalty. After that though, Bayer Leverkusen took off. They would score three goals in the space of seven minutes. First of all, Sandhausen keeper Nikolai Reynan would deflect a header into the path of Adam Hlozek, who would tap in. Then Yemi Fringpong would cross in really well for an Amin Adley header. And then Florian Wirtz would have an excellent run down the pitch and was able to set up Amin Adley for his second of the game. So 5-2 final score. But to be honest, this game could have been very different, especially if that penalty had been given at that point. If Sandhausen make it 3-2... Potentially they hold on. Can you imagine how dejected the Bayer Leverkusen players would have felt? So, yeah, this could have gone very differently. But Bayer Leverkusen threw to the next round of the Pokal. And with the calibre of teams that have already been knocked out, they will be feeling like it could be their year. Especially with the start they've made in the Bundesliga as well. Victoria Kill nil, Eintracht Frankfurt 2, Victoria Kill not able to get a second straight upset against a Bundesliga side. 14 minutes on the clock when Frankfurt would score their first, Elias Shakiri scoring from a corner routine, really good header from Robin Koch to set that up. Through the rest of the game, Victoria Kuhn did play really well, particularly in the second half. I don't think anyone watching without any knowledge of who the two sides are would be able to tell that there was a Difference of two leagues between the two sides. And a lot of credit should go to Jons Grohl, who made a few amazing saves in the Antwerp Frankfurt goal to make sure Victoria Kuhn didn't get back into the game. In the 90th minute, Frankfurt would make sure the game was wrapped up. 
Omama Moose playing a good pass to Paxton Avenson, who was able to find Ansgar Nauf across the goal for a tap-in. It was the correct result, but Victoria Cullen should be very proud of how they played. They did look like a side who could compete against Eintracht Frankfurt, and they did make them really work hard for this win. Stuttgart 1, Union Berlin 0. Stuttgart through to the third round of the Pokal, but for Union Berlin, it is an 11th loss in a row in all competitions. Dennis Undav with the only goal of the game for VFB, and this was a game in which Stuttgart did deserve to win. By the way, Dennis Undav, obviously we talked about him in the last episode because he missed that penalty, but then made up for it with a goal against Hoffenheim. He is doing very well in deputising for Seo Gerasi, bar that missed penalty. I don't think he's put a foot wrong yet, and it's why Stuttgart are still playing really well. But of course, the focus in this game is around Union Berlin. Urs Fischer, before this game, decided to change tactics. He switched up to a 4-2-3-1, which is weird almost, because... Whilst Urs Fischer has been at Union Berlin, we've associated him with that three-at-the-back formation that he has been very successful with. But he went back to a tactic that he played a lot when he was the Basel manager. And he wanted to see if that could work for this Union Berlin side. And to be honest, they were better defensively than they have been in the last few weeks. But still, going forward, they are completely uncreative and unimaginative for players they've brought in to sort of help with the attack just not doing anything no one doing anything to be perfectly honest it feels like Urs Fischer is desperately going through every possible option now because like I said many many weeks ago towards the start of this bad run it felt like the tactic that Union success has been built on had just stopped working. And this desperation to change it around is more proof of that. They only had one big chance in the entire game, like Dooney hitting the bar. That was it, to be perfectly honest. And this was another truly terrible performance from them to be honest if you wanted to go with something for halloween maybe go as union berlin to attack because that's the scariest thing there is at the moment the union horror picture show is scaring everyone up and down the nation right now but yeah this this was very very bad and there were reports that urs fisher would potentially be sacked if they lost this game i mentioned that they were in build so probably nonsense but Still, it does feel like we are sort of reaching the end of the Urs Fischer era at Union Berlin at the moment. Because, like I said in the last episode, what turns this around? When do they get better? When do they start winning? It's all well and good to say that plucky little Union are at the best point in their history and they should be grateful. And that is true, but they've got a lot of very very good players and they should be getting a lot more out of them than they are doing at the moment so yeah I don't know what makes this better and obviously Urs Fischer did get the dreaded vote of confidence after their defeat at the weekend to Werder Bremen how long that vote of confidence lasts for though I have no idea by the way he was sent off after the game as well for 
complaining at the referee. Maybe that's just another sign that we are reaching the end. I don't want that to be the case for the record, but it's hard to think that anything else is the case at the moment. Wolfsburg 1, Leipzig 0. Leipzig are finally out of the DFB Pokal and we can have a proper, authentic winner for the first time in, like, forever. At least that's what it felt like. Vaxlav Cherny with his first goal for Wolfsburg since joining from FC20 in the summer. Really good pass from Thiago Tomas to set it up and he celebrated with a baby celebration, not with a baby, with a baby celebration, you know, ball under the shirt, sucking the thumb, so maybe it's about to become a father or something like that, if so, congratulations, and if he has become a father, then congratulations for whenever that was, and if it's nothing to do with that, then I don't know why he celebrated like that, anyway, really not the point, Cherny did miss an amazing chance later on in the half when I think Schlager passed it to him in the middle of the box. Really bad ever from the Leipzig player. But yeah, he all he had to do was get past the keeper and he missed. So I guess he did get it past the keeper, but like what I meant was past the keeper and in. And he didn't do that. Uh, that's kind of what I wanted and what we all wanted because nobody wants to see Leipzig through to the next round. Neither did Yusuf Paulson apparently because he was sent off for a high challenge on Matthias Svanberg. It was the correct call. Leipzig really did nothing offensively all game and Wolfsburg did deserve to win. And it continues an incredible run for Niko Kovac in the DFB Pokal. Of course, he's been manager of three sides in the Pokal Eintracht Frankfurt, Bayern Munich and now Wolfsburg and he has managed in 25 games in the Pokal in his managerial career and he has won 23 of them. He has won 23 of 25 games in the Pokal for a quite frankly ludicrous win rate of 92%. Of course he has won the DFB Pokal on two occasions, once with Frankfurt, once with Bayern and he was also runner-up on one occasion as well. Should be said that this Niko Kovac tactical masterclass wasn't seen by many people, just 16,000 fans in attendance because Wolfsburg and Leipzig are not exactly the most popular clubs in Germany. One was set up for a car manufacturer and the other is just a pathetic excuse to market an energy drink. I'm sure of it's Monster Energy. I'm sure of it. People say it's not, but like, I'm sure of it is. I'm sure of it is. Anyway... Borussia Mönchengladbach 3, Heidenheim 1. Obviously, these two sides played in the Bundesliga at the weekend, with Gladbach winning that game 2-1. And, of course, the old maxim goes that whoever wins in the league loses in the cup. Well, that wasn't true this time. And Gladbach ensured that that wouldn't be true by getting off to a very fast start. Jordan scoring two goals in the opening nine minutes. The second looked like there might have been an offside in the build-up against Ngomu, but obviously no VAR and the linesman kept his flag down. The third goal for Borussia Mönchengladbach would come at the end of the first half. Robin Hack getting his first goal for... Gladbach, uh, very nice to see him scoring as well, heading in a Luka Nets cross, obviously Robin Hack last year at Arminia Bielefeld looked very promising, I was very excited by the transfer, but this is his first real contribution to the side since joining. Heidenheim would get one goal back in the second half, Adrian Beck heading in at the back post, but Gladbach were the better side and they did deserve their comfortable passage to the third round.
Final game to mention then, Borussia Dortmund 1, Hoffenheim 0. Marco Royce scoring the only goal of this game. Ersan Kabak would get sent off in second half at a time for a second bookable offence. It was the correct call, at least the second yellow card was. I didn't see the first one. There could have been a lot more goals for both sides. This could have easily ended up being like 3-2, 4-3, but... Neither side would score, well, Dortmund scored one, Hoffenheim didn't score any, Dortmund did serve the win, though they were the better of the two sides. Anyway, with all that said, that is the second round of the DFB Pokal done. Eight Bundesliga teams were knocked out in this round. Five sides were knocked out by a lower league opponent, obviously four from the Bundesliga and then Greuther Firth, who lost to Homburg. So that means already at the third round, we are down to quite a few Bundesliga sides. Obviously, four teams were knocked out in the first round, eight teams knocked out in the second round, meaning that just six Bundesliga sides remain in the third round. They are Stuttgart, Wolfsburg, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Borussia Dortmund, Bayer Leverkusen and Eintracht Frankfurt. So it is all up for grabs and hey, maybe we'll see the first Second tier winner of the Pokal since, what, Hanover in 1992-ish? So that would be absolutely fantastic, especially if it's St. Pauli. That would be fun. The draw for the third round of the Pokal takes place on the 5th of November at 3.45 Central European Time. If you're in the UK, knock off one hour. The broadcast of the draw will take place on ARD. Player of the round, I obviously did this in the last round, I think it was Marcus Mendler of Homburg who won this time out, it's Marcel Gauss of Saarbrück and of course scoring the winning goal in the 96th minute, he deserves a lot of credit though, to be honest, I would say a close runner up for that crown, also coming from Saarbrück and the keeper Tim Schreiber who made a few truly incredible saves in that match. Anyway, let's round up the podcast then with top spiel Das Wochenende. All times are given in Central European time, no more Central European summertime. It is winter and cold and miserable. If you're in the UK, knock off one hour. And of course, in the Bundesliga, there is only one game I can go for. Borussia Dortmund against Bayern Munich, Saturday at 6.30. It is their classicer. And Dortmund, obviously coming in on good form, having won in the cup in midweek as well, in fairly comfortable circumstances. But... Maybe this is not the best time to play Bayern because they've just lost to Saarbrook and they're going to be mad. So, yeah, if if Bayern win against Dortmund, that's what I'm going to put it down to. Dortmund haven't beaten Bayern now in five years, so really good. But hopefully this is their time. I would also like to recommend the game between Darmstadt and Bochum. I think that'll be a very good game Friday at 830 Obviously, a relegation six-pointer with Darmstadt 14th on seven points. Just two points clear of Bochum, who are in 16th on five. In the Fighter Bundesliga, no bias, but I am going to go with Alversberg against St. Pauli. I'm very excited for this game. Obviously, get to see St. Pauli travel to the powerhouse of Alversberg and avenge that cup upset from a few years ago. St. Pauli, top of the Spider Bundesliga. They have not lost so far 
through their opening 11 games, 23 points. Meanwhile, Alversberg are genuine promotion contenders at this point. 18 points from 11 games, 7th in the table, just 3 points behind HSV, the promotion places. And if they were able to be the first side this season to beat St. Pauli, that would be a real statement of intent for a third straight promotion. That game is Friday at 6 30. In the Dritter Liga, my game of the weekend is out against Ville. It's a Friday 7 o'clock kickoff. I do realise this has been very Friday heavy because while my second pick from the Bundesliga is on Friday, Alversburg St. Pauli is on Friday and this is on at the same time. But this is an exciting game. I'll enter in fourth on 21 points, just two points behind Ulm following their defeat last week. Meanwhile, Bull are ninth and on 18 points, meaning they're only three points behind Al and just five points behind Ulm in that seeded batch, as not the top 20 would say, that very exciting close middle of the table. Anyway, that's all the time we have on the Going Deutsch podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to be back on Tuesday with even more from the wonderful world of German football and hopefully not too much depressing stuff like Bayern beating Dortmund 10-0 and St. Pauli absolutely stinking up the place against Alversburg. But anyway, for the time being, I've been Alex Woodward and until we meet again, I'll be the same.